we, we do this opening question every time at Renew. So this is a question I have for you. Who do I take care of or love more than I love myself? All right, so we're going to go ahead and break off into groups of two or three. Some of your groups might get, might, it might just be super fast, like nobody and you're done. That's okay. Uh, but again, I would love for you just to look around, make sure everyone's included around you, and then I'll come back up and, and we'll go into the sermon today. All right. How many of you guys uh, said that there is someone in your life that you love more than yourself? Raise your hand. How many of you guys? All right. Probably like a good amount, 70% of the room. Okay. How many of you would say that there's more than three people that you love more than yourself? Raise your hand. Okay. Maybe half. How many would you say more than 10 people you love more than yourself? Uh, almost one <laughs> in the back. And then she changed her mind. That's okay. We're looking at Matthew chapter 22, 34 to 40 today. And we've been looking at this for the last three weeks because as a church, and if you've been Christian for a long time, it can just become more and more, more complex. What it means to be Christian, what it means to do this church thing. And I love how Jesus distills it down to these two commandments and makes it the focal point of everything we do. And I hope that in our faith and as a community, it would come down to do these two things as well. We gather together, we're here, we meet, and what we do is we love God and we love others. Let me read this passage to you again. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, asked him this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then I added from the Luke uh, portion, with all your strength from last week. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, if you were here the last two weeks, I think that's the power of preaching through the text and just kind of working through it because your mind is being flooded, right, with, with what it means uh, to love God with our soul and our heart and our mind and what it meant for it to be the first commandment. And this is a passage you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life. We're going to dissect the second section now. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. I just want us to stop and think about what a ridiculous commandment that is. Right? It's not talking about your best friend. It's not talking about your mom or your, or your baby boy, your neighbor. And, then, and that it's a law to love. I worked at the Orange County uh, Defense, public defense, um, for a while as an intern. So I got to work with pub public defenders. Uh, we looked at all kinds of cases. Most of them are inappropriate to talk about right now. And then I also was the chaplain of Trinity Law School for about a year and a half. It's a Christian law school and had a lot of great conversations with different professors. The dean there is still a good friend of mine. And so when we talk about the legal system, when we talk about what the legal system is comprised of, first, we just think about how you can't legislate goodness. If you look through our legal system, Nowhere is it saying, like, be kind to someone. 
go mow the lawn, right? There's no law that says, hey, if someone wants to get into your lane, back, just back up, let them come in. The legal system never institutes goodness. It's always about evil and restraint. It's always about this exterior boundary that our society creates in order for us to function well. So it doesn't tell us to be good. It tells us not to be evil. And if we are evil, there's certain repercussions. So even just this concept of a law that pushes us to be good is a radical idea. That when we become citizens of God and a part of his kingdom, his greatest law isn't a prohibition It's to love. And it takes all these other laws and fills it with meaning and purpose and kindness, right? It it tells us, instead of not stealing from your neighbor, be generous to them. When they ask you for a cloak, take it off and give them your cloak and your jacket and your shoes. When a soldier tells you that you have to go one mile with him carrying his bags, go the second mile. When the law says, don't commit adultery, Jesus says, be faithful to your wife and don't divorce her and keep your eyes on her. When the law says, do not murder or gossip or slander, Jesus says to forgive and make peace and to love your enemies. It's very different than the legal system we reside in. It's a legal system of love. But then the second part of the passage is even more audacious to me. Not only are we to love our neighbors, which can be a lot more generic and open to interpretation, he then says to love our neighbor as ourself. And then the Luke account, the scholar replies back and says, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives this radical story. He speaks about a Samaritan who walks down the road and serves a Jew when other Jewish Uh, religious leaders would not serve and take care of him after he was beaten half to death. And remember, Samaritans in the Jewish eyes was the lowest of lows. They just called them dogs. They dehumanized them. They wouldn't walk through their towns and villages. They would walk around, even if it added hours or days to their journey. And Jesus turns the table and says, your neighbor is the one you hate. And he makes the person that the Jews hate the hero What an amazing parable. But think about all the people that you hate in your life and then apply the law of love to them where you love them more than you love yourself. I mean, I could barely do that for my son, right? I love my son so much. He has the cutest cheeks, and I'm like worried about whether he's cold, whether he's eaten. So I would say I probably love Liam as much as myself most of the time. But then I would say that I love my wife as much as I love myself. And then she would rebuttal with, then why did you drink all the boba when you said you were sharing, you know? <laughs> why, did you, why didn't you wash the dishes when you told me you were washing the dishes? If you love me as much as yourself, you, you would sacrifice more, right? And so even my second number two person would argue whether I loved them as much as I love myself. It's an extremely difficult command. It feels impossible that I can't even break one and a half. And Jesus is saying to love my enemies like I love myself. How do we even approach this? Well, I think at the end of the day, the only way we can love our neighbors as ourselves is to love God first. 
And so the, first com- the second command of loving our neighbors cannot be divorced or disconnected from the first command to love God. When we love and worship God, we become like him. You know, I was watching American Meme from Netflix, and it's a really cool show. It has some nudity, so just forewarning. But it follows these um, kind of legends of social media, the godfathers and the godmothers of social media. They are famous not because they're skilled at anything, not because they've contributed to society, but because her name's Paris Hilton, right? She's like the first one that became famous for nothing. And, uh, but we followed her, not we, but other people have followed her for like 15 to 20 years, and she refers to her followers, and they refer to themselves as Little Paris, Right? That's how they've named themselves. And they spent their whole life imitating Paris Hilton. You know, the term Christian is coined um, from this idea of little Christians. It was actually given to us by non-believers. Jesus never refers to us as Christians. The apostles never referred to us as Christians. It was actually in Athens where people of every tribe, race, um, socioeconomic status came together. It was like this trading and thinking hub of the known world. And then all of a sudden, there's this group of people that they couldn't pinpoint that would always come together, that became a community and loved each other, but they weren't from the same ethnic group. They didn't come from the same religious background. They didn't all have money. And so the Athens called them Christians because they resembled Christ. They were little Christs. What does it look like to be like Jesus, to be Christian? It looks like our hearts opening up and us learning to love others the way that he does. And secondly, we love others by loving God because when we're in love with God, we're totally filled with his love. He's the only person who can love us so that we have no more gaps or voids or fractures in our heart. And when we're fully loved by him, we can then enter into other spaces like this community and love others. But when we're not fully loved by him, we come into a space and we don't just accept, we first ask whether we're accepted. We don't just love, we first ask if we're liked. We can't invite without asking if we're going to be invited back. But when we're invited into his family, when we're accepted by the Father, when we're deeply loved by him, we get to come in to another space, a second space, the community, and love and invite and accept without needing it to be reciprocated, right? Our, our relationships with one another doesn't have to be one of commerce or trade. It could be one of flow, that as we receive from the Lord, we give to the people around us. I wonder what a community like that would look like. I wonder what this community would look like if we came in and said, I want to not come in with these questions or, or with, uh, with primarily to take from the community, but I'm going to take from the Savior. I'm going to take from the one who can give generously above and beyond anything I could ever ask, all the love I could ever want. I'm going to receive from him and then come into the community to serve and to give to others. We're able to love the community because we love God. And then God calls us to serve out of that, to listen, to lead, to forgive, to confront, to play, to have coffee, to pray, 
out of loving God and loving others, we do these things, right? So when we walk into service uh, for our community, whether it's children's ministry or putting down chairs and making people feel at home or playing the drums, what I hope, what I want us to do, what God's asking us to do is to take our first step in and say, do I love the Lord? Am I connected with him? Is he loving me? And is he the primary place in which I'm getting filled from? And then our second step is to say, God, do I love the people around me? Am I doing this out of love for them? Do I care deeply for them? And then my third step is to preach. My third step is to watch the kids. My third step is to serve with worship or in leadership or um, doing coffee. That's our third step in. And I think what's dangerous is when we reverse it, right? Or when we neg negate the first two steps and we say, God, I'm going to serve first. But then we become bitter. We ask why we're not acknowledged. We wonder why someone next to us isn't doing more. We listen first, but we wonder why they're not listening back or inviting us back. We forgive, but we're asking why they're not forgiving us. The people I want to promote at Renew, and I get to have that role, the people I want to lead with us are people who first love God, and second, the way they speak about this community is filled with love and care and a generous spirit. It's not demeaning. It's not me over them. It's not why aren't they and I'm here to save. It's simply love. And it doesn't mean we don't see the hard things or the flaws or the weaknesses, but you can see all of that and love first. I wonder if we've neglected to love first. And it, it becomes so deeply toxic to serve the church without loving her. Not to only you, but to everyone else around you. So that's why in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7, this is the message version. If you feel like the Bible is really clunky as you read and you're just having a hard time going through it, I recommend the message. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but a creaking of a rusty, rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and everything, making everything plain as day, and if I have the faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I do not love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be buried as a martyr and I do not love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. You know, if we go to Iraq, but don't really love the Yazidis, we're just taking a field trip. If we're waking up early to serve the church, but we don't love her, we're just wasting our time. Right? What does it look like to love first? And take as long of a pause as you need to take that first step into this next space and say, God, do I love you and am I connected to you? And do I love the people around me? And then serve. Your third step is to serve. Your third step is to play. Your third step 
is to have those conversations. But I think it's really difficult. Some people are really difficult to love. I get it. You know, like, like you love them, and then they bit you back. You cared about them, but they, they didn't think about you afterward, right? You invited them, but they didn't invite you. Or they even gossiped about you, and, and you feel deeply hurt by that. What do you do with people who you've loved or you've reached out to, and they've hurt you? And I think it's easy to walk away and to isolate. It's easy to say, hey, I'm done here. Or to say, okay, I don't love you anymore, but I'm going to love these other people. And then we're not really being a family. Um, I'm going to have Ben come up because I, I, I'm just, please, it's, it's a really simple illustration. You just have to stand there. He's the one on the video. Uh, dating that girl, doing the Mexico thing, if you're not familiar with her, <laughs> Tiffany. Okay, this is Ben. So let's say Ben offended me deeply, right? I loved him, and he offended me, right? And I want to fire him, but I'm not even paying him, so I can't even fire him. So it's really... <laughs> okay, and, um, and someone, there's, someone, there's a Ben in your life, right? There's a Ben in your life. And uh, who made you mad, who got you angry, we're going to say, we're going to call it bending from now on. And, um, and, uh, and when you say, okay, why should I love him or serve him or care about him? Because every time I do, I just, he's, he doesn't reciprocate. He hurts me. He does something mean. Why should I love him? And if it's just me looking at Ben, there's no reason to do it right? You're looking at that other person. You're like, I'm done. They're annoying. I'm hurt. There's no reason to love this person. But look at what Jesus does here. I think it's profound and amazing. He says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. What Jesus does in this interaction is say, take your eyes off of Ben and look at me. You're serving Ben, not because of Ben, but because your master and king took a knee and washed your feet. So it's not because Ben served me. It's because my king knelt to wash my feet. And he says, you do the same. I forgive Ben not because he's asked for forgiveness or because he's groveled or paid me back. I forgive Ben because I think about all the times I've wronged Jesus in deep and profound ways, unspeakable ways. And he goes to the cross and he's nailed there. And when he convicts me, he does it with such gentleness. And when he forgives me, he does it completely. And he says, look at me the way I forgave you. Don't look at Ben, look at me. And then extend my forgiveness to him. Look at the way I loved you. The way I've taken care of you. Undeserved, unprovoked, unequivocal. And now do it for Ben. If it's just this, if our community is just this, we're, we're going to fall short, we're going to be short, and we're going to cut each other out. But if our community is this, and out of this comes this, it's going to be rich and deep. 
And we don't, we don't run dry. Thanks so much, Ben. When we say we love the community at Renew, what do we love about it? You know, I love that this community doesn't just like take off to the parking lot at the last song and just like empty, right? We stay like too long. And then I'm like, all right, guys, get out. I didn't turn off the lights. And then we go, after we leave here, we go have lunch. We play basketball. Sometimes Ben lets us crash his house, you know? And we just, it's like a whole, like, thing. And then on Monday, we see each other at Alpha. On Tuesday, we go to a small group. On Wednesday, we do something else. Well, I love the camping trips. I love the road trips. I love the weddings, right? We love all of those things. We love the birthdays and the random hangouts and the, and the almost sleepovers. If you're there till 2, p- 2 a.m., you're pretty much sleeping over, right? Uh, we've done so much for each other. And those are all the things we love. Those are all the things I love. But I wonder if that's the best about community. I wonder if, if maybe the best part of the community is the hardest part. I wonder if the best part of community is feeling deeply hurt, right? We, we get the best part of family, but we get the worst part too. But I wonder if the worst part of feeling hurt and gossiped about and, and getting betrayed and punched and kicked and all of that stuff that comes with family, if that part is actually what grows us and matures us, if that part is the part that makes us lean on Jesus and say, and do this thing, right? We don't have to do this thing if Ben's great to me. But I have to do this thing when it's really hard to love Ben. But this is the thing that makes me turn and love Jesus and connect deeply with him. It's what makes me grow in my patience and forbearance and kindness. And it it allows me to keep no record of wrongs. What if some of the best parts of family is actually the hardest? You know, I think what's difficult for me as a pastor is seeing people, there's a lot of good reasons to leave a church. You know, sometimes God just calls us somewhere else. We have a life transition. Uh, there's good reasons to leave, but I think the sad, the sad thing I see is like when community gets tough and we press the eject button. And I'm like, actually, that tough part would have grown you. And when you go to that other community, it'll, at some point, it'll be really tough there too. And I've seen people just press eject over and over again. Instead of staying through the most difficult parts of community, and there are, and we've gone through some of them, and we're going through some of them, but when we walk through it and learn to forgive and continue to talk and to say, you're not just my friend, you're not just my ex, you're not just someone I don't like, you're family, that we're family first instead of friends or not friends first, we're family first instead of a potential girlfriend first, like family, and that, and that means something to us. I think that's the best part. The best part, I feel like, is the hardest part. And I, I, just seen, I have seen so many conversations over five years where there's been yelling and tears and forgiveness and saying, hey, I'm still here. And I've seen us grow in really amazing ways And I hope that we continue to embrace that part of community too and to say, hey, if if this is supposed to be 
our family and long-term. I don't think I have one. I have such really sweet long-term friendships, like 20 years, some 30 years, and I'm only 36, some 10 years. And I don't have any long-term close friends that I haven't had to sit down and say, dude, that sucked. I got, you hurt me. And where they haven't had to sit down, like uh, one of my closest friends, I was at his house, I messed up his new couch, you know? And he was like really mad. And then the next time we hung out, he did this public announcement about keeping the food in the kitchen, right? And then everyone looked at me. I was like, all right, I, I get it. And you just go through stuff like that and worse. But, we, but that's what allows us to go long-term. I hope that as a church, we would see the hard things as the good things and that we would progress towards this serving, not because they deserve it, but because God served us. Loving, not because they loved us bad, but because God loved us. Forgiving, because God forgave us. I want church to be a place that we learn how to do all the other parts of life. We love God so we could love community, so we could serve community. And then we learn how to love God. And then when we step in our family space, are we loving the family we're in and then serving it? We, we step into our workspace and we say, God, am I connected with you? And as I step into work, open my heart to love my coworkers, my clients, my employees, and then let the third step be customer service or nursing or healing or teaching your students. Our community is a space to learn how to do relationships everywhere else. And then there's this other side, right? I hope that as when we do feel served and listened to and led and included and we get to play and love and we're loved by the community, that it wouldn't just stop with this community's awesome. Because guess what? After a while, this community will fail you because it's made up of you guys and me, all these messed up people with our own baggage. And I've seen, right? I've seen us come into this community and say, it's an amazing community. We hang out all the time. People love each other. Yeah, that's limitly true. And if it stops there, at some point, you're going to feel unloved, hurt, excluded. So we, whenever we experience love, especially here, it needs to be pointed to this great love, to Jesus' love that doesn't hurt us and fail us and walk away and exclude us. And when it's not pointing there, we look, we look back at our community and we're just like, dude, it's messed up. I thought this was a safe space and I'm not safe. Well, no, there, you're, there's no human space that's truly safe, but there's a God space where you could be naked and vulnerable and completely honest and he takes you in. And I hope that whatever sense of safety you feel here would only propel you towards this great savior who you can experience true safety from. And again, it's a fill in the blank. That anytime you're loved by anyone, you would find the love of God, right? For, for Liam, when he cries for me, which is a lot, I love it. Sometimes I'll like just stay away. 
for more, like more crying, and I'll be like, oh, I'm here, because it just feeds my soul. And then uh, I'm half joking, but only half. Uh, when we play together, cuddle, hugs, kisses, when he says, thank you, Abba, I feel so loved by Liam. And baby love is like one of the purest of loves, right? Because when you ask him the other questions, like, do you love Le- B- daddy more or Mickey more? He'll say Mickey. So you know he's being truthful about all the other stuff. But if my love, me being loved by Liam doesn't lead to a love for God, Liam's going to disappoint me, and I'm going to put a tremendous amount of pressure on Liam, pressure he cannot stand up to. If your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife does not lead you to loving God more, you're going to break them with the amount of pressure you put on them. You're going to break them because they can't fill you like that. They could only lead you to the greater love. You know, um, when I think about what it looks like to mature in our faith, it's this, it's this loving God thing. And I would say it's the first commandment and the last space that we end up in as a Christian. That the, the, the mature Christian takes all of life the law, our friendships, family, recreational life, and say, how do I enter into the space loving God, worshiping Him, grateful to Him, dependent on Him, and how do I take this space and then have it propel me to love God in deeper ways? This is the mature faith, the mature Christian, and we all, we're all growing in it, right? There's always going to be parts of our lives that are disconnected to God, or there's parts of our lives that are connected to Him, but that connection can always grow. But how do we see our life in the totality of God's love? You know, um, I've been, think, I used to just kind of turn on Netflix, and it's kind of like me taking a break from thinking, Jesus, family, everything. And now I walk into Netflix, I'm like, how does Netflix, (laughs) how can I like love, enter into Netflix with the Lord and exit Netflix? So when I watch the um, American meme, I think about Paris Hilton and I think about the ways that her followers worship her. She's their Jesus. We're Christians, a little Christ, and she's... Um, and they are little Parises. And there's literally a photo of her, of her being Jesus. Like someone painted a photo of her. Sorry, she's Mary, and Jesus is like laying ar- across him crucified. But really, when they talk about her, her followers, of all of these celebrities, they say, Paris loves me. She fulfill, gives me purpose, right? I, when, when I see her, I see what, who I want to become. And I walk out of this Netflix and I am deeply motivated to share about Jesus. Because it's not just, we look at these little Parises and we think they're ridiculous. But we all have a Paris Hilton in our lives, right? Maybe it's our profession. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's that guy or girl who are saying, once I get that person, become him or her, I'll be saved. And I walk out on Netflix being reinvigorated to say, God, how do I share you who truly loves, who truly gives us purpose and who truly saves you? Because if it's not you, it's something that feels so empty 
and plastic and superficial. I pray for us that when we think about the greatest law, we would think about walking into every space with the Lord and allowing that space to draw us near to him. God, we come to you this morning. And I guess first and foremost, I just think about our community, our church, (laughs) the bends in our life, the bends sitting uh, on the other row. And I wonder if you're speaking to anyone in this moment, telling them to take their eyes off of bed and to see you. and to love and forgive and serve because you bent a knee to wash our feet, because you opened your arms to take the nails, because you invited us to be family. Think about the prayer you gave us, that you said to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. That, Lord, forgive my debts as I forgive my debtors. That it's one motion of receiving forgiveness and then handing it, extending it to others. It's one motion of receiving your love and the way you've served us and then extending it into the community. Would you just take this, this space to talk to the Lord? And I wonder if some of you just need to be loved by him, that this first step feels foreign. And would you just... In a simple way, if you desire to find God's love today, would you just simply pray, God, I want your love. Show me your love. Forgive me of my sin that separated me from you. And I pray that I could be loved by you so that I could love others. For some of you, it's praying a prayer of forgiveness to someone in your family or in this family or a coworker. For some of you, it's thinking about the ways you're serving at Renew with your parents or kids or your workplace and saying, God, I don't want to serve them for them. I want to serve because you've served me. Can we just have those conversations with the Lord this morning? In a moment, we'll take communion. And as we do that, we remember the great love and forgiveness and inclusion of Christ all seen on the cross. We get to participate in that as we take the bread that represents his body broken for us and the grape juice that represents his blood shed for us. Whoever you're having a hard time forgiving, whoever you're having a hard time loving and and receiving, I hope that communion would take you back to the space of this amazing, scandalous love from the Lord. And that in this space of taking communion, you would gift someone else forgiveness this morning. If you're not a Christian, but you're just kind of exploring this thing, um, I would ask that you restrain from communion. But I want to gift you with a prayer. And so we have a prayer team on the side, and we would just love to pray a blessing over you or to hear something in your life that we could pray for. And our prayer team is extended to everyone in this room. Let's rise and take communion together.